This is Need to Know. Real talk about unidentified anomalous phenomena. From Australia, Ross Coulthard. From the U.S., Bryce Zabel. Welcome back, and we are back in a slightly different fashion. Now, I'm still outside of Los Angeles in my lair here, and Ross um, is normally outside of Sydney in his own private uh, uh, domain. But Ross, this time, you look like you're in a hotel room someplace, so you got to fess up. Where in the world is Ross Coulthard? I'm in a place where I cannot believe I paid 12 American dollars to get a pretty weaselly cup of coffee from a otherwise um, self-proclaiming decent coffee house in Palo Alto, California, which I'm told is a very expensive place. I've, I've never seen more Gucci loafers and Range Rovers and very swish cars in my life. It's a, it clearly Silicon Valley, Mac, Amazon, whoever they all are, they're making a fortune here in Silicon Valley. Well, it's a, it's a happening place. Um, I, I, go up to the San Francisco area often, spend a lot of time there. It's lovely. What are you doing there, though, besides hiding from your fans in Australia? What are you doing? I'm I'm here to tell the story of what's called the Soul Foundation, S-O-L Foundation, which is a brand new body that's having its annual general meeting, its inaugural AGM. It's um, led by, among others, Professor Gary Nolan from Stanford University, where I am. And it's essentially an organization that's dedicated to serious, objective scientific research into the phenomenon of UAPs. It's doing the job the American government should be doing. And uh, I think it's a laudable project, and I'm here to cover it for News Nation and for Need to Know. I, I don't know whether you know, Bryce, but I've recently been announced to be a special correspondent for News Nation. And uh, in that role, I will be aggressively covering the subject of UAPs well into 2024 with great vigor and interest. But today we've got a lot to discuss. We do, although let me let me unpack something here. So what you've just described sounds like a very high-class UFO conference. Tell me I'm wrong. Um, I'm actually very excited to meet a lot of the people who are coming here. There are a lot of people I've been talking to for years who, uh, frankly, I've just never had the opportunity to physically connect with. Um, I've also been using Paolo Alto as a useful place to meet a lot of the interesting people who've been talking to me on background. I've had lots of illicit meetings with people in coffee shops and bars, and I'm looking forward to telling those stories in coming weeks. Um, but yes, there's um, a number of scientific papers that are being presented. I'm especially keen to hear Colonel Carl Nell's presentation at the conference because he, of course, is one of the people who vouched very strongly for the credibility of David Grush in the original uh, story from Leslie Kane and Ralph Blumenthal. And he uh, was um, one of the key uh, officials who backed Mr. Grush uh, publicly uh, and is very much the rebuttal to the notion that David Grush doesn't have any on-record supporters who verify what he says. You know, Ross, I just want to say one thing for our uh, audience of listeners and viewers. Uh, only a week, ago, uh, an episode ago, uh, Ross, you fixed your camera. You got this brand new camera and you were rocking some high quality HD. And of course, now you're in a hotel room uh, fizzling and zizzing and all the things <laughs> that, that happened. Those are technical terms, by the way, fizzling and zizzing. Um and also, you have more precarious uh, internet. So I don't know what any of this means, but I did want to say that um, it sounds like a, a great thing, actually. I know it's invite only, and uh, you're the half of the Need to Know team that is invited. So please, uh, we're going to be wanting to talk about the Soul Conference uh, soon after you've uh, observed and, and talked to all these people. But basically, though, congratulations on the News Nation gig. We're all very proud of you, and we all think that there couldn't be a better guy doing it. And News Nation, whatever they're paying you isn't paying you enough because you are helping put them, put the topic on the map. So congratulations, man. That's good news. That's very kind of you, Bryce. And I can assure our audience that um, hopefully the role that I've got at News Nation uh, will complement the role that I'm doing at Need to Know. I'm as committed to Need to Know as I am to News Nation. And it's very much part of my deal with them that I will continue to do the Need to Know vodcast podcast because 
we need to know, Bryce. We really need to know. God bless um, you, my friend. So that's really good that you're doing that. And I, by the way, um, you're not there uh, to attend a conference for News Nation. You're there actually, uh, by my understanding, actually shooting something or have shot something about the JFK 60th anniversary, which, by the way, um, my, you can see my little JFK memorial I put together. So tell us what, you're, uh, what that's all about. Well, I, I, I'm very, I've always, you know, there's, there's a mystery that I've long been fascinated by. I remember as a little boy, my mum and dad talking in whispers about the murder of JFK and what an incredible event it was. And I think part of the, part of the issue with JFK is he was the TV president. You know, he was the guy who had this beautiful wife, gorgeous kids. And um, it, it was such an awful tragedy. And as a little boy, I remember um, there was a magazine in our family home that we left through that talked about the funeral. And it just seemed shocking to me that the leader of America, the leader of the free world, could be gunned down. And as the journalist in me started getting interested in journalism and mysteries and investigations, I was always fascinated by the fact that there seemed to be some doubt about the guilt or indeed whether the extent of the involvement of Lee Harvey Oswald, the man, of course, who was charged but never convicted because he was killed uh, with the assassination of President Kennedy. Uh, and um, I have to admit, in the investigation that I've been doing for News Nation, which is going to wear uh, 9pm Eastern time this coming Sunday the 19th, um, it's very interesting. I've, I've had the privilege to speak to some of the long-time investigators into the case. And I've also interviewed um, somebody who was actually there and saw it happen from the car behind, literally saw the horror of the president's head explode. And even they admitted that where they thought they heard the shot coming from originally was the right front of the president, which of course is the grassy knoll. Yeah, well, we're going to talk a lot more about uh, Kennedy in this episode. And by the way, two of Kennedy's uh, close assistants um, were in the car behind him, and they said the same thing. They were both World War II vets, and they said, uh, I know where gunshots come from, and this one didn't come from, you know, they didn't all come from behind. We heard them from in front. Uh, uh, let me just do uh, my own little uh, where were you. Uh, I'm a big Kennedy fan, as you know, and I've done things like I collect buttons. I have a very large Kennedy collection of buttons. That's one of my favorites. This is another one from the 1960 campaign. And uh, this is what I think is one of the greatest looking ones. I still wear that to this day. I don't know why. I think it makes some kind of point even in today. But I'll tell you, let me just give you my where were you moment. Um, because I think you were basically a zygote when this happened, or, uh, I don't know, maybe you were what you were young. Um, and I was actually, I was young too, but I was actually in the fourth grade at, uh, Peter Bosco middle school in, in Hillsboro, Oregon. And, uh, you know, we all, when it comes to the Kennedy assassination, anyone who was alive at the time and was, you know, was at least, uh, cognitive of, about what's you know, the world's going on with news and everything, remembers very clearly, just like 9-11, uh, where they were when this happened. So I'm in class, and um, it's just a normal class. And it's late in the morning in uh, in Oregon. Um, I think it's a couple hours later than than Dallas. And people are talking, and, and there's whispers, and people coming in to talk to the teacher. And then we all went to the lunchroom a little bit early, I think, and there was a TV on there, and that's when we first saw it, this black and white TV in the middle of the uh, cafeteria. And uh, the news, of course, was that the president had been shot. So, yeah, so we all got together and uh, got our lunch, and then we sat down at the table. And back then, you sat at the table with your uh, classmates. And the teacher sat at the head of the table, and that was Mrs. Braden, who was a very tough woman. And uh, she made us eat our vegetables. So that day there was broccoli, and I was going, oh, man, she's going to make us eat that broccoli. But Mrs. Braden sat at the table, didn't make us eat anything, and she wept during the entire uh, lunch. And I believe during the lunch, my memory is that they announced that he was dead, which I just couldn't even comprehend. And then they sent us home. So I ended up going home, and my parents uh, were both uh, home from their jobs, and we all just started watching TV nonstop through the weekend. And I'll just put it this way. By Sunday, 
when Lee Harvey Oswald was killed uh, in on live television almost exactly two days to the hour after JFK was killed, my father, who was an American history pro, uh, uh, teacher at the high school level and who was a pretty, you know, um, straight ahead guy, he said, well, they sure made sure he won't talk again. And I thought that was interesting in retrospect because he didn't say that guy made sure he said they, you know, which today would pretty much say there was a conspiracy to get rid of him. And all I can say is this, my middle name is Harvey. And the shame I felt being Bryce Harvey Zabel at that time was terrible because everyone was, you know, for whatever reason, when you talk about assassins, you use their middle names. So Lee Oswald became Lee Harvey Oswald and everybody was saying it. And I felt deep shame. And to this day, I don't use that middle name because of it. Um, it's probably an apt moment, Bryce, to actually make the connection back to UAPs, because while I've been yeah. doing the JFK story, I've been really struck by two things. And I, I know you've got your own expertise on this because you've written a, a counterfactual history of JFK, what happened if he survived. But I also want to make the point that the thing that has really struck me right through the JFK investigation that I've been doing for News Nation has been the similarities, the eerie similarities with the way that the evidence quite clearly, I believe, demonstrates, I think on the balance of probabilities, that there was a conspiracy. And I don't understand why the legacy media in this country, in America, is continuing to push the canard that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone. I mean, somebody's got to say it. I mean, to me, it's just transparently obvious that the CIA had a much deeper involvement with Lee Harvey Oswald than it ever chose to admit, that that was quite improperly, if not illegally, suppressed from the knowledge of the Warren Commission by Alan Dulles, and that, frankly, there was a cover-up. And the big question in my mind is, why was there a cover-up? Just as with UAPs, the evidence is also, I believe, overwhelming on the balance of probabilities that there is a reality there that is worthy of investigation. And why does the state continue to cover up what it knows? And it's interesting because I've been quite struck this week. A couple of um, millennials, including one of my own kids, uh, suggested to me, well, why does it matter? Why do these things matter if they're decades old? Mm. And I do believe, I think the mystery of JFK matters for exactly the same reason that the UAP issue matters, because there are crimes, illegalities that have been committed that continue, I think, to be perpetrated, cover-ups that continue to this day. And frankly, I mean, the reality is, whatever you thought of him, JFK was an exceptional president, an extremely effective politician. He was perceived by the public because he was that very televisual president as the doting father, the loving husband. And um, it's just one of those great epic American tragedies that to this day, uh, officially, I mean, people don't realize this, officially in the Congress, it's unresolved what happened to JFK, but the official finding by the House Select Committee on Assassinations in the 1970s was that there was a conspiracy in all probability. There were more than one shooter. And I, I think that's worthy of reinvestigation, just like the UFO issue. And I, I don't understand this disconnect, this cognitive dissonance in American society where people just shrug their shoulders and go, yeah. oh, it's a long time ago, you know. Who cares about JFK? Who cares about Roswell? You know, why do these things well, I, matter? They matter because they have relevance today. People often uh, make it seem like that. And in fact, I suppose you could argue to the youngest generation that's out there now, uh, JFK's death probably has about the same relevance as Lincoln's death. It's something that's in black and white and happened a long time ago. Um, on the topic, though, of the connection between JFK and UFOs, I, in, in addition to everything you said, which I agree with, um, they're also, they also share certain familiarities in terms of how they've been looked into and how life has changed around them. There are currently files being declassified uh, and being reviewed by a review board in the UFO world, as we've talked about on this show. And of course, that happened uh, for the U.S. files on JFK after Oliver Stone's uh, successful film JFK came out in the early 90s, they passed the JFK Assassination Records Collection Act of 1992, and they had a group of people that were declassifying documents uh, as 
is supposed to be happening uh, next year and the year after. Um, if on, the on National Defense Authorization Act passes, yes. If yes. it passes, yeah. yeah. But, it, I, you know, some version of that is probably going to pass, at least, but it's being built on the JFK framework. That's how they, they declassified JFK documents. And the truth of the matter is they've declassified a whole lot of them, and yet they were all supposed to be done by 2017. That was what the, the act said. And first, Trump didn't. Uh, release all of them. And now Biden hasn't released all of them. And I think everybody who knows anything about the JFK th situation are saying, what in the hell is going on here? Why, why at this point wouldn't you release them? Um, well, part of the reason, of course, is you think about it was the Warren Commission report, uh, which first fingered Lee Harvey Oswald as the sole shooter, the single assassin. The truth is, uh, I call the Warren Commission report the greatest uh, work of American fiction. Uh, because it doesn't mention that Lee Harvey Oswald had a CIA connection. It doesn't uh, mention that he was a FBI uh, informant. Uh, and it also doesn't mention that Jack Ruby was part of the mob. These are kind of big oversights for the official government investigation. And finally, what I think is the the really big connection between JFK and UFO is that people always say things like, well, if it was that big a deal, how could it possibly be covered up all this time? As if I, I, the I length of yeah. time qualifies it for if it didn't get revealed, it will. It, it's for good reason. It didn't happen. The truth is they both prove that you can keep a secret for decades and decades because we're still doing it on both topics. Well, yeah. And the other lesson, frankly, from the JFK Records Review Panel is that they've got to have their feet held to the fire on the UFO issue because, frankly, if the president can extend the classification of files pertaining to the JFK case ostensibly because it would somehow jeopardise intelligence operations, I think that's a, a load of steaming bullshit myself. I really do. I, I strongly suspect that what it is is agencies like the CIA concealing the fact that they were directly involved with Lee Harvey Oswald. The only question in my mind is it's a given, frankly, that the CIA was associated with Oswald. In fact, Oswald was trained by the CIA. He went to a particular camp where CIA agents were trained, and that was acknowledged in correspondence that was provided to the House Select Committee on Assassinations, but never disclosed to the Warren Commission. And uh, I met a guy, by the way, in um, Dallas called Robert Groden, who's just a fabulous investigator. He's the guy who leaked the Zapruder film after he obtained a copy of it as a photo technician in the 1960s. And, and he showed me a memo that while he was working for the House Select Committee on Assassinations definitively shows that the CIA admitted that, that Oswald was working with them. And that's, that's absolutely outrageous that an intelligence agency can subvert a congressional investigation in order to defer scrutiny of its perceived possible misconduct. And to this day, I think the similar issue will happen with UAPs. If and when we ever have a reckoning on the subject of UAPs, one of the big problems in America is the overly deferential behavior of the media, a lot of the legacy media, to dealing with the intelligence community and the defense community. I, I cannot believe the forelock tugging that goes on where people sycophantically, cravenly lick spittle to senior people in the intelligence community and um, allow them to get away with, I think, sometimes illegal, disingenuous behavior. And uh, so, frankly, if in five years' time we are still waiting for declassification of UFO files because the incumbent president has decided that the time for declassification needs to be extended beyond the end of 2024, which is the scheduled date for declassification of all UFO archives, by the way, then frankly, I, I just do not get it. I mean, I do not know whether Americans understand the importance of getting to the truth of these cases because there is a conspiracy. I just don't know what it is in both JFK and in the UFO story. And I think we need to get to the bottom of both. Need to Know continues in a moment. When people say, 
why does it matter who killed JFK? I, I just rankle a little bit still because the truth of the, of the matter is it matters who J if the CIA, for example, had a role in the killing of an American president in broad daylight. Wow, uh, that would be worth knowing about because you want to make sure that kind of shit doesn't happen anymore. Uh, it would be a very big deal. And the other thing it does is it by acknowledging what happened and how it happened, we give more truth to history instead of uh, do we really want to be able to say about JFK less than we can say about Lincoln? Lincoln, we know John Wilkes Booth jumped down off the stage and, you know, uh, after shooting him, uh, we don't know anything like that about JFK and it would be time. Um, Ross, I was just going to ask you, do you know what the Mandela effect is? Have you heard that phrase before? Tell me, explain it. Okay. To me. Mandela effect, as I understand it, is people, uh, it, it ha I don't even know the origin of it, but the idea that people believe things in the present and sudden ha somehow the past rearranges itself to make it so. So, um, I, and by the way, I want to tell everyone, yes, we're going to talk about Sean Kirkpatrick and and all the other great stuff going on in UAP stuff. But just to follow this up for a second, um, I'm, as, as many of you know, and thank you for mentioning, Ross, this book, Surrounded by Surrounded Enemies. Surrounded by Enemies. It's a great book. I enjoyed the read, to be honest. It it's me it's a pretty lively read. But it's before what, I, ha what, what happens if JFK survived the assassination? Right. Well, in fact, you know, I, I do think that the reason I was motivated to write it, by the way, was that I because people keep using the phrase conspiracy theorist as a pejorative, whether it's about UFOs or JFK. And it kind of means, well, if I can call something uh, a, a conspiracy and you a conspiracy theorist, then I'm basically saying that it's kind of silly what you're saying. But the truth is, there are conspiracies. JFK is a conspiracy and UFOs is a conspiracy. And that's not me being a nut or anything. That's just me acknowledging what went on. But anyway, to the Mandela effect. My other big JFK obsession, which most people who are listening to this know, is that in the 90s, I created a series with Brent Friedman called Dark Skies that was on NBC. And in the pilot of Dark Skies, uh, it takes place in the 60s, and it's about UFOs and an alien invasion. In the, in the 60s, or in the pilot, rather, uh, JFK is assassinated because he was going to tell the truth about UFOs in his second term. Now, what's interesting about that is Brent and I, when we set out to, to create Dark Skies, we said to ourselves, what are the biggest conspiracies? You know, And we said, well, there's just two right now. There's UFOs and JFK. Those are the big ones that everybody knows about. So we thought, well, what if we put him in an atom collider and sort of make a one TV series that relates UFOs to the Kennedy assassination? Now, I must tell you, at that time, we had read zero about any connection. Oh, there was no internet for us to go to to look up any potential connection. There were no documents released about a connection. We just wrote an entire 20 episode, 20 hours of television on that theme. Now, what's interesting about it to me, and this goes back to the Mandela effect, which is in the years since Dark Skies has gone off the air, there are now several documents that have appeared uh, that's, that make it seem like JFK may very well have known about the UFO issue and have talked about it and sent memos about it around shortly before his death. And also, if you, if you go on the internet right now and search for JFK and UFOs, you'll get a plethora of people talking about it. There's people that talk about it on Twitter. There's people that talk about it in Reddit and things like that. But there was nobody talking about it back then. So either Brent and I were very prescient or the, the Mandela effect is in effect. I, I don't know. But it, it, it was uh, an interesting thing because for me, this thing that, that was done simply to tell a great riveting story uh, and just do an alternate history, if you will. That was my first alternate history. And now it turns out that there's potentially some real connection between JFK and UFOs, and and that blows my mind even to this day. It certainly does blow my mind too. And yes, people have suggested to me that it's a possibility, and I do think it's worthy of investigation. The documents you talk about, there's one pertaining to a journalist called Dorothy Kilgallen, which appears allegedly in a FBI report. 
uh, and she's allegedly, before she died, related stories about JFK's alleged being briefed on on UFOs, aliens. And the other one relates to Marilyn Monroe. The, the trouble is that both of those documents, the provenance of both is disputed, like none of them appear in the presidential library, which allegedly has a, a comprehensive archive of all of JFK's memos. But what what is the case is that there are documents to show that um, JFK was pushing the CIA to open up a dialogue with the Russians. And because of the prevalence of UAPs over the Arctic Circle, there was an increasing worry that there was the risk of a dangerous interdiction where you might end up sparking a nuclear war because either the Russians or the Americans thought that the other were, in fact, launching a nuclear attack when, in fact, it was UAPs, unidentified objects. The, and, um, and as David Grush noted to me in the interview, he thought it was incredibly significant that there was a declassified file held in the um, National Security Archive released under FOI, which shows that um, there is a, a space treaty that was negotiated with the Russians where it was agreed that in the event of detection of unidentified aerial phenomena, each side would notify the other to avoid exactly the possibility of some kind of nuclear conflagration. I have that, uh, the original memo that people were talking about, and it was a memo for the director of the Central Intelligence Agency, and the subject is classification review of all UFO intelligence files affecting national security. Just a couple of quotes from it. This is Kennedy writing to them. It's signed by Kennedy. Um, well, it's a, a, a dubious document, according to the archive of the presidential library. I know, but I, it may be dubious, but I don't think it's as dubious as that. Um, but again, that's whatever. I'm just going to read it because we brought sure. it up. He writes, I have initiated and have instructed James Webb, who was the head of NASA, of course, and now, of course, he's got his own telescope up there, instructed James Webb to develop a program with the Soviet Union in joint space and lunar exploration. Uh, in other words, Kennedy was suggesting that we might, because the he knew going to the moon would probably bankrupt us, he felt like, well, maybe they should share the cost too, and it'll be uh, good for peace. He writes... Um, as uh, it is important that we make a clear distinction between the knowns and unknowns. When this data has been sorted out, I would like you to arrange a program of data sharing with NASA where unknowns are a factor. I would like an interim report on the data review no later than February 1, 1964. The date on this memo is November 12, 1963. And of course, 10 days later, JFK gets his head blown off in uh, on the streets of Dallas. Uh, th the thing that well, I will I will cede you the point, Ross. It is a dubious uh, memo because, but but part of its dubiousness, if, if you is that even a word? But part of what makes it dubious is that you know we can't go into the archives ourselves right now and find it. Um, but what is not dubious at all, folks, is that John Kennedy, more than any president up to that point, and frankly, more than any president after that point, was extremely worried that we were going to blow ourselves to kingdom come with our nuclear weapons. And he was dedicated to peace and not just little peace, but big peace, not just keep us out of Vietnam, but get rid of these nuclear weapons and, and save the, the planet. And that put him in opposition with the CIA and it put him in opposition with a lot of people who put him in option in opposition with the, um, of course, the military. So the, one of the things that I had to deal with, frankly, in writing the book I wrote was to say, who didn't want Kennedy dead in November of 1963? There were just a lot of candidates for it. And, and, uh, but, but the thing, the policy thing that potentially could have gotten him dead, as opposed to relationship with Marilyn Monroe or relationship with mobsters and things like that, the policy thing was peace. And uh, I, I'm very sad that he didn't uh, get elected again and have a chance to pursue that because he and, you know, Khrushchev famously uh, went to uh, sign, uh, I believe, uh, to, to the American embassy uh, to give his regrets. And he, he was in tears, you know. So uh, Kennedy had literally 
begun that important work to make peace something that was real. And it's not, let's just say this, Ross, you and I both know, and many of our listeners and viewers know that there is clearly something going on here, right? We don't know the details. We haven't, we haven't heard everything that needs to be said, but we've talked to a lot of people and there seems to be an emerging thing, even from the own, our own government that says these things are real and we don't know exactly what they are. Okay. Well, if that was the case now, it was definitely the case in 1963 because that was like, what, um, 14 years after Roswell. And so John Kennedy and, and people in the national security establishment had every real reason to connect the two things in their own minds. Uh, and so it, it does appear to me that a strong case could be made that he ought to have known something was up on that topic because a lot of other people at that time did. Bryce, I think it's time to go to the break, but I'll just finish this break with the one observation. I, I once met a very senior Australian politician who'd served in World War II, and he said to me that he thought every political leader should see combat because then they'll spend the rest of their political career trying to avoid it. And that was the one thing about J JFK. He'd experienced war up close, and he knew it wasn't yep. good. So yep. listen, coming up, it's official. The first head of Arrow, the Pentagon's UFO UAP investigation office, is out the door. And later, we're going to do even more digging into the implications of Sean Kirkpatrick's departure and what it means for UAP transparency. Stay with us. We're back in a moment because you need to know. Ross, you did an excellent little tease for our Sean Kirkpatrick thing. Sean Kirkpatrick is the current and soon to be past leader of Arrow, the um, uh, the organization in the Pentagon that's supposed to be studying the UAP issue. And Ross, one of the things that you and I have done is it felt earlier like we were really going out on a ledge on this one. Or I remember we were saying Sean Kirkpatrick's days are numbered. He's going to be fired. He's going to be showing the door. Well. Looks like he kind of was. Yeah, I, I, I got a tip. I, I got a tip that I should look very, very closely at the website for the Oak Ridge Nuclear Laboratory. And, and when I looked, I was fascinated to see that there was a Sean M. Kirkpatrick who was um, featured as a new staff member at ORNL. And it had literally gone up the day before. And I thought, well, there's only one physicist called Sean M. Kirkpatrick that I know, and that's the current head of the Pentagon's UFO office. Uh, then we did a bit of a check on his um, company registrations, and it turned out he'd also registered a brand new company in October, mid-October, which looked like some kind of consultancy company. And frankly, I thought, by golly, does this mean that Sean Kirkpatrick is going? So I fired off questions to um, the Pentagon's PR and uh, probably within about five days, I got a, well, actually, I got a denial first that Sean Kirkpatrick was working anywhere else other than Arrow, and the inconsistency with his purported employment at ORNL still to this day is not explained by the Pentagon or by Dr. Kirkpatrick. He didn't respond to my direct email. But what happened five days later was Dr. Kirkpatrick announced that he was leaving, and uh, uh, he's being replaced by his current deputy in Arrow. And uh, I think we're waiting to see with bated breath who's going to take, who's going to take over, who's next, who's the most likely candidate. Well, I'm sure you, I'm sure we both have heard things and people are talking and uh, on uh, the internet, but I don't know that I'm, I'm seeing anything definitive. I know um, that uh, one of your sources from your book was one of the people. Is that Carl Nell? Um, that was one of the people. Um, that he, was actually a, about? he was a source for Leslie Kane and Ralph Blumenthal for their debrief story, right. and he he provided right. yeah. the support for David Grush in the original. Uh, David Grush story that appeared in the in the debrief that broke the story of David Grush, and he unequivocally backed David Grush to the hilt as a person of um, integrity and and vouched for what he was saying, which is quite extraordinary because one he's a full bird colonel, and two he's a hugely well respected person inside the uh, the U.S. defense community. And yes, I've heard his name is being mooted as a potential candidate, but. 
There are other names, and I know there's a pushback from defence. Um, the Defence Department, I'm sure, are very probably going to be trying to get their own candidate. Frankly, I do not for the life of me, Bryce, I'll have this say, I do not for the life of me understand why, if this is meant to be an oversight body, reviewing the integrity of the Defence Department and heeding the requirements of law to ensure that they've done the right thing as far as oversight goes and transparency on UAPs, why the hell do we give the Pentagon or the intelligence community any input at all into the appointment of who it would be? And uh, I think this is just a sad reflection on the extent of the power of the, the national security establishment in Washington, that um, even though I hear that Colonel Carnell is by far and away the most exemplary candidate for the job, it's still a subject of some debate yeah. inside the defense hierarchy who gets the job. Yeah. Uh, I mean, let's face it, if they wanted to impress me, they'd make uh, Christopher Mellon uh, the guy in charge of Arrow. And then I would at least say I know where his heart is and where he's coming from. Or, you know, Lou Elizondo. Neither of those, of course, folks are going to happen. Um, I do think it. I take your point very strongly, Ross. I mean, the guys who are supposedly now in charge of telling us about uh, what is going on with UAP are, in fact, the same pack of people who have refused to tell us what was going on with UAP. These are the, this is the same crowd that for years insisted they weren't even looking into it anymore. And then it turned out they were, they don't have a very good record of being uh, straight up with people. And I agree. It would be nice if we had something that was verifiably neutral on this topic that was looking into it. Um, like I remember, um, supposedly Biden was during the uh, February shootdowns, he, he put together some group. Well, I don't think that group's going to get to the bottom of it either. I mean, part of the problem, and I say this, and I know I'm a broken record folks, but I am a little frustrated by the fact that it's 2023 and we are still focused on just basically finding some data that will prove to the most skeptical of the skeptics that there's something real going on here. And in my view, uh, we have moved past that point. We are now at the point where this mystery is greater than ever. And uh, people who have studied it absolutely have seen profound evidence that these are not Chinese drones or Russian drones or black uh, dro uh, black uh, money drones from the United States. There's something else. And so the longer we postpone the day of reckoning when we admit to ourselves that something quite unusual is going on now and has been going on for 80 or 90 years minimum in this world, and the more we continue to focus on, well, we have to make sure everybody understands this, we're missing a, a valid and historical opportunity to move ahead and prepare for this revelation because it's coming. There is going to be a moment uh, in history uh, where our society over a short period of time, I'm not saying a single day, but over a short period of time comes to grips with the fact that yes, we're not alone and they're not out there uh, to be seen through some telescope or radio signal, uh, but that they're actually here uh, in our world. And we have to deal with that. And, if we're all we're doing is screwing around with the same old nonsense politics instead of getting on with the actual reality and then asking ourselves, how should we handle this and how can we be prepared to do do this in the right way? Boy, that's just a giant missed opportunity. So anyway, soapbox standing down. Can Back I to can you I and Sean? Yeah, sure. I, I I was really interested last night to to watch Sean. Kirkpatrick appearing at the Hayden Center right. with Shane Harris from the Washington Post. And I thought as the outgoing Arrow director, it was an opportunity for him to clear the air on so many issues. But I just gave up at the point where he essentially tried to avoid the question on, on what he meant by NHI, non-human intelligence. You know, there was quite an intelligent right. question from the audience that basically asked the, the very you know, reasonable question, you know, w what's the distinction between ET and NHI? And um, uh, one of the things that frustrates me is Dr. Kirkpatrick has said so many different things over the last few months. And there was a comment that he made just a few weeks ago where he basically talked very openly in a way that sounded like he was making a concession. I think it was in an interview with The Debrief 
or maybe it was Laura Seligman. I've forgotten which one it was, but essentially he 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 basically talked about the fact that it was either whatever the phenomenon is, whatever these mysterious objects are, they're either foreign adversary technology or they're NHI, non-human intelligence. And he then later on implied very strongly that he believed it wasn't foreign adversary technology. And more importantly, that it wasn't American technology that they've investigated that possibility. So it did leave you with the question, was he suggesting that this was somehow NHI, non-human intelligence technology? And I came into the the Hayden Centre hearing watching it thinking, oh, well, this is a great opportunity. It's a great opportunity for a scientist to explain himself. And it was also a good opportunity for journalists to pin him down for a moderator of the event to sort of pin him down and say, look, sir, with respect, we just want to get you to clarify what you mean here. And it was blown. I mean, I'm sorry. It was just such an obsequious evening where, frankly, they let so many shots go through to the keeper. What is it at the moment about the American media where they seem frightened of asking questions? It's almost like, oh, sorry, sir, we don't want to embarrass you. But, you know, <laughs> there's these pesky journalists who suggest that there might be a conspiracy about oh. UFOs. Um, don't want to upset you or anything, but isn't it silly? I'm, I'm sorry. I just think that there needs to be a change of tone in the media leadership in this country. Absolutely. And, and Frankly, I'm just shocked and appalled at how many shots and opportunities were lost and let through to the keeper at the Hayden Conference opportunity with Dr. Kirkpatrick because I got the opportunity, sorry, I got the impression that he was there to be questioned, that he really was interested in being able to give a free and open expression of ideas. And instead, what we got was a slightly craven, slightly lickspitly opportunity for him to perform and evade. And and uh, I mean, it's interesting because one of the things that he talked about were the threats, which appallingly he apparently has suffered from crazy people in the UAP community. But it's interesting because when the threats and the, and the angry blowback that was being talked about was actually written about in reports to the Congress, what was actually being described was the aggression of mainstream science towards... Yeah. Um, the NASA scientists, if you remember, yep. uh, and the NASA scientists in their report complained that it wasn't the UAP community that was attacking them and threatening them. It was mainstream science that seemed to have this dogmatic resistance to the idea of even engaging with this subject. And the NASA scientists in their report basically accepted that they were getting threats and, and, and abuse from people in the scientific community who were behaving extraordinarily scientifically. So I think it's a tragedy and it's wrong. It's quite improper that Dr. Kirkpatrick, as he says, was being exposed to ridicule, hatred and contempt from people in the UAP community. He's a public servant. He deserves respect for the work that he's done. And um, I, I wish him a happy and healthy retirement at Oak Ridge National Laboratories. Well, that was good reporting on your your part, and I'm I'm proud to be affiliated with it. I also would like to say that I'm almost beyond being shocked and appalled by these things, as you mentioned, because it was shocking and appalling, and it it, it ticked me off. And I think we are developing our own shorthand here. Uh, you called it obsequious, an obsequious evening. So we'll just call that an OE from now on. We suffered through another OE with uh, Sean Kirkpatrick, and I think the thing that makes it such an awful evening was that Sean Kirkpatrick more than anybody recently has had a chance to be a breakout historical figure. Um, less so for like the Lou Elizondos and the Chris Mellons because they were out of the system. So they were, you know, commenting inside here was a chance for Sean Kirkpatrick to literally get his hands on the steering wheel of, of an investigation and be open and forthright. I don't really think he's, he's done that, but I would again, Every time I hear this idea that, you know, uh, people think it could be adversarial technology, I, I just have to say, yes, if you believe that the history of the world started in 2004, you might be able to make that argument. But remember, this started in, in big time in 1947 here in the United States. China didn't have an Air Force. Uh, the Soviet Union 
didn't have much technology coming well, out. Well, if of I can World jump in on you there, it was even earlier, Bryce, because yeah. the metallic spheres that Dr. Yes. Kirkpatrick have acknowledged are a reality and and continue to be a mystery, those metallic spheres were seen during the Second World War, the Foo Fighters, right. Right. And, uh, and they remain unexplained. So, well, that's kind of a new <laughs> thing, isn't it, to, to make the, the Foo Fighters into metallic spheres? I mean, because no, 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 no. There are actually reports from the Second World War where they're not just glowing objects. There are also metallic spheres seen by U.S. pilots. No, I'm aware of that now, yeah. but but it's for the longest time when people have talked about Foo Fighters, they you tended to the the usage they were giving to it was mostly uh, glowing red objects and sometimes green uh, traveling next to Nazi fighters and our fighters. Um, and very few uh, focused on the spheres. The spheres are interesting because, A, you you know about them very well. You've seen one or, or several in person. But also, uh, we have sort of reverse engineered the, the story going back into World War II because as soon as we knew these spheres are real, you know, and some of the photos are astonishing, then you start to look backward and you start to pull out blue book files and you start to, you know, listen to uh, World War II uh, pilots and so forth. And you start to say, yeah, wow. So that's been going on. So my point again is how many people honestly think that in the immediate aftermath of World War II, where the, the world was on its knees at that point, having destroyed much of it, um, that suddenly someone had a breakthrough about how to send you know, uh, spheres through the sky. I, I, I don't think anybody had that. And I think it's pretty obvious they didn't. So I guess I just want to, as we wrap up here, I'd like to just say, okay, Sean Kirkpatrick, he's in office for another month, I believe, right? Is, is that when he leaves? He, he's staying through the end of the year. Regardless of who gets the job right now, what's our take on what they could do to reclaim a sense of we're actually on the side of truth here with this thing, and we're not just beholden to the our funders in the Defense Department? What what? What should the new Sean Kirkpatrick be thinking about right now? I think there should be a greater willingness to engage with all of the media, not just cosy little interviews with lickspittle people in the news media who are prepared to avoid asking the tough questions. And um, I, I think there needs to be proper answers given as well. I mean, it's time for the end of evasion. Whoever runs Arrow has to be somebody who is willing to answer the tough questions. Um, it's not good enough, frankly, to keep on avoiding answering the issue. How can, how can Sean Kirkpatrick, on the one hand, acknowledge that there is a mystery that he can't explain, that there are anomalous metallic spheres doing manoeuvres and speeds which he cannot explain, that are being reported by fighter pilots, by military personnel, recorded on multiple sensor systems? How can he say that and then assert that he has no credible evidence? Moreover, Knowing the people that I personally know who've come forward to Arrow and offered information and come away feeling that they haven't been well treated and then gone on to the Senate and given their evidence to Congress, I just think whoever it is that takes over the reins of Arrow, they have to understand that they need to restore public confidence. I've referred three people to the Senate, to Congress in the last few weeks because they didn't want to go anywhere near the Pentagon's UAP investigations. Now, I'm told there's some very good people on the UAP investigation team inside Arrow, but frankly, I'm sorry, even though he's well acknowledged as a reputable scientist, I don't think Dr. Kirkpatrick has taken an objective and balanced view to the issue. In fact, many of us have worried that he's allowed himself to be open to the perception that he's operating under writing instructions from USDI the Office of the Undersecretary of Defence Intelligence. So whoever takes the role, they need to be rigorously independent. They need to be seen to be transparent. And moreover, I think just to tie this all in a bow, Bryce, there's a great saying, those who forget their history are condemned to repeat it. And both with JFK and with the UFO issue, we should never forget our history because the evidence is there and it's plain to see in plain sight, and we need to know. Boy, uh, 
I second everything you said about the history thing. As you know, as I said, I'm the son of a history teacher. I believe in history. History is a chance to, you know, I, I, I like journalism. Um, we're both journalists, but journalism has been described as the first draft of history, right? Um, history is still the one where you get some perspective and you sort of see the forest for the trees. And you, you also begin to, to see how uh, the world really is organized. And it's very clear uh, to me that JFK was not a perfect person. I mean, I, uh, I, I certainly loved him as my president when I was just nine years old. But as things have gone on, I've, I've learned that he had his own flaws too. But at the end of the day, John F. Kennedy uh, stood for a better nation and a better world. And for reasons that have not yet been fully acknowledged, he was gunned down uh, at the age of 46 years old in broad daylight um, in, in Dallas, Texas. And nobody has fully come out and explained that or the fact that two days after he was killed by someone that they instantly said was the guy that did it, then that guy gets killed. This thing is so fishy. And at this point, I would just say, as we enter the 60th anniversary, what is the point? What is the point of not just being straight up and honest about how John Kennedy came to meet his end? Nothing could hurt our nation about that right now. The only thing that could happen is we would begin to go from that first draft of fractured history and we'd be able to get things right again. And, and I, I'm in favor of that. So hopefully the who, same thing exactly for UAPs as well. Yes, right? precisely. That's, I guess that's the point of this show. Yes. We've talked about JFK and, and, you know, I went on too long about my first, uh, you know, uh, realization that he was dead, but, but not really because all of us were really impacted by it. And as you know, I, I spent a lot of time thinking about how we're going to be impacted by the UFO issue when we fully accept it. I think it's not dissimilar to the Kennedy situation. The Kennedy situation, uh, you know, I've been watching all the documentaries. People, when they first heard about it, honestly, a lot of them couldn't even speak. They just had to sit down. They, they weren't even ready to cry. They, you know, they, they were just, oh, my God. And, and they had to assimilate that into their, their mindset. And that's really what's going to happen with the UFO issue. Um, it's going to be maybe JFK times two or three, but uh, the truth will out. So anyway, it's been a pleasure doing one. I know we'll do another one soon, and uh, we'll uh, update everybody on what you learned at this conference. See you next time. Need to Know is a joint production of Stellar Productions and Powerful Owl Productions. The producer is Rich Johnson. Want more? Find more at needtoknow.today. That's needtoknow.today.